When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, October 14, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by our own Jack Farley. Lots to talk about. Uh, earnings come in hotter than expected. Uh, bank stocks are surging. And there's talk again, chatter, more data about shortage in the labor market. Jack Farley, welcome back. Great to be here, Ash. Great to have you. As always, Jack, what are you looking at right now? Well, I think it would have to be earnings season. Uh, it began uh, in full uh, on Monday. And since then, I think uh, you know something like 20 companies have reported, and all but two of them have uh, posted earnings beats. That's the actual earnings per share is higher than the, the number. Uh, a few a few standouts um, today. Uh, excuse me. Uh, um, Walgreens was up six uh, percent because it absolutely blew it out of the water. Uh, Delta Airlines is actually making money now again. Uh, you know, if you, if you can believe it, the big banks are reporting what on the surface are great numbers, uh, all big beats, big, huge you know record revenues, record net incomes. But there is some you know some stuff beneath the surface, like slowing loan growth. Uh, that I don't like in particular. Oh, I mean, I guess today's an everything rally, Ash. You know, the S&P, Ash, you tell me how much, I don't know. You tell me how much the S&P 500 is up because every single sector is up. It's not only up, it's up more than 1%. One With the exception spot. of consumer discretionary, which is up 99 basis points, but I'm, I'm rounding up. Today's a roundup day. It's, yes, indeed. It's up one spot, 7.1%, uh, settling down here. Uh, looks like we got a final number at 4,438, spot two two on the S&P 500. By the way, it looks like the big winner of the day is actually not the S&P, it's the NASDAQ up by fractionally higher, one spot seven, three percent closing out the day at 14,823. Jack, you mentioned banks. Let's talk about financial services. Uh, tell us what you're seeing there in a little more detail. Well, Ash, the, the good news is there's a, a continued uh, frenetic activity in mergers and acquisitions in uh, capital markets raising, issuing bonds, issuing equity. That is arguably the hottest it's ever been. So that is a total uh, growth engine for the banks. And that is why you're seeing green on the screen. The bad news, uh, Ash, is actually, let's just, um, oh, actually, it, it's slowing loan growth. Um, and this is something that, that banks have uh, struggled with historically. They're just, they're just not lending their money out. You can, and you know, they're making money other ways and um, perhaps you know, sort of new ways like you know, you have stocks, Ash, and I'll, I'll lend money to you, uh, securitized by that stock. But in terms of like, you want to start a business, we're going to lend to you that sort of simple old, old school style business. That is not happening. Yeah, CNI lending, commercial industrial lending, the backbone of uh, the U.S. retail economy. Certainly, that chart uh, demonstrates that. I'm always interested when earnings come out, and I'm not sure if you have an opinion on this, Jack. But it's always fun to do the compare and contrast uh, among the banks. Who are the leaders? Who are the laggards? Based on the chart, uh, I believe you just showed. What we're seeing here is it seems like JPM, JP Morgan Chase bucking the trend uh, and seeing uh, accelerating loan growth, particularly relative to other players in the space. Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, uh, let's actually put these charts up right now. Um, this is the total uh, one-year growth in deposits. So you take deposits right now, you compare what was deposits a year ago, and you take the difference. You can see that deposits absolutely exploded uh, higher uh, starting uh, during during the coronavirus um, of you know 20%, 25%, 35% year-over-year growth in deposits. That is not normal, needless to say. And I think it's a result of two factors. The first is that uh, there was, you know, we, the country was awash in liquidity because of the, the Federal Reserve. Uh, and, and the second was that, um, you know, people's incomes were actually high and, and personal saving as a percentage of uh, income was extraordinarily high, which no one expected in February and March of 2020, but it actually did prove to be a fact. Since then, it's moderated somewhat 20%, 15 6% respectively for JP Morgan, Bank of America, and Citigroup but still well above normal levels. So all the money is coming into the bank on the, let's say, the left side of the, of the balance sheet. Uh, but on the right side, the liability side, um, you're actually, actually loan growth. Actually, I should say, sorry, total deposits is, a, is itself a liability for banks. And loans are a asset for banks in the same way that they are a liability to regular people um, like you and me. But OK, so total loans actually has declined. And this is very interesting. Um, I didn't get a chance to put Wells Fargo up there, but uh, Wells Fargo has also declined precipitously. And pretty much, they're, they're not uh, lending. You can see Bank of America uh, is still down year over year, 2%. Uh, Citigroup, very anemic growth, 79 basis points growth. And JP Morgan is actually uh, the, uh, the uh, rare one that is actually starting to uh, lend again. Well, that's absolutely right, Jack. That's what the chart shows and a very clear explanation. I should say, I'm sorry, Jack, I thought I, you had already shown those charts that came up on my monitor. But to that point, talking about these charts, uh, it is very interesting. As you point out, of course, uh, the assets on the on bank balance sheets are their loan book. If those assets continue to decelerate, uh, that does not bode well for future earnings for banks. Uh, as you point out, JP Morgan, the leader, and if you look at the price action here on the day, uh, I'm looking at uh, Wells Fargo. Clearly, the laggard looks like uh, minus one spot five nine, and uh, Bank of America having a very great reaction today uh, by investors in U.S. equity markets, up four point five percent on the day. Yeah, um, I think so far the banks that have really led the charge uh, were investment banks and uh, trading shops that could make money based on M and A and and trading and sort of that high finance stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll remain to see what will happen to the model of taking in deposits and lending it out. Um, I was speaking to someone uh, recently, actually, I didn't ask permission to say their name, so I, so I won't. But uh, they were saying that, you know, the banking industry is a little bit of a dinosaur. And this is actually, I was not talking to someone my age who's really into crypto who has sort of, a, you know, doesn't like the banks. Like, this is someone who, you know, has worked in the banking industry for a long time. Yeah, you know, you make an interesting distinction there uh, between these two different sort of sets, the, the Goldman, Morgan, Stanley view. Uh, by the way, Morgan Stanley up 2.46% on the day, um, talking about the distinction between banks that are generally retail banks and those that have large uh, trading books, uh, large FIC businesses, fixed income currencies and commodities. Jack, maybe we should do a show and call it low finance. Low finance? I like it. Yeah, low finance. There's a little yeah. bit of a ring to it. For sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, Ash, I think earnings seasons is in full swing. Uh, banks started out strong, at least on the high number. Um, but you, yeah, I mean, Wells Fargo, strong number. Morgan Stanley, $2.04 relative to $1.69. Citigroup, $2.15 relative to $1.78. 
Um, but yeah, so far, so far, a lot of strength. But Ash, I think, and this is, I should say, my own opinion, uh, we are definitely past phase one. And I'm using a, a framework that uh, Anika Treon, a, a financier in Europe, was telling me about. But phase one is the market is awash in liquidity. We're risk on. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, Carnival Cruises lost a billion dollars last quarter, but like, you know, it's, everything's going to be okay. Uh, we're definitely past phase phase one, where the market is excusing. Or like, we're definitely in the show me phase, where it's it's time to show me the earnings. And by the way, I should mention J.P. Morgan buoyed today by by the good news in the banks. Yesterday was actually down um, on on what was a very good quarter. And by the way, their loan growth is actually the best in breed. So you know, it's it's a it's it's hard to sort of uh, uh, make sense make sense of it all, like and, and take a you know a, a clean narrative. It, it's it's pretty complicated. Well, Jack, we're looking at raw data here. We're looking at uh, things that are coming uh, right off the uh, top of the tape, uh, trying to parse this here in real time. And going through that analysis uh, is always a helpful process. Uh, best in breed, uh, I suppose that's true. Uh, but you could also, I guess, if you wanted to be cynical, say, um, I wonder if uh, you know there, there's potential uh, they're taking on greater exposure than other banks. Hypothetically, we don't know this, of course, just a hypothetical question. Uh, while JP Morgan loan growth is, gro is growing, have they gotten... Uh, do they have super superior uh, insights, data uh, process in place on their underwriting side that allows them uh, to make loans uh, that are uh, that they believe uh, have a lower uh, lower potential to default? Uh, are they reserving against them uh, in equal measure? There are a lot of complexities beneath the surface, and boy, we'd really love uh, to have a banking expert uh, on to talk about it. We could get like Chris Whalen back uh, to do the deep dive to go through bank by bank and understand and unpack. We do, Ash. I'm no banking expert, but I do have a chart that is pretty insightful about what you just said. This is actually J.P. Morgan's uh, loan book, one-year growth historically. As I said, J.P. Morgan, they're leading the charge now. What have they did historically? Were they, you know, lending a lot during 2005, six, seven? I actually had a hunch the answer was no, because I've seen interviews with J Jimmy Diamond saying that he was, you know, in, as early as 2006, calling people and pulling credit lines and being very defensive. And you see that they were headlong. Uh, they rushed headlong into the subprime bonanza and private equity, whatever you want to call it, in 2004, 2005. But in right. 2006, 2007, they were very, uh, um, uh, uh, they, they had their hands on the reins. They were very conservative. And then they were allowed to take advantage of that in 2008, 2009 by, by lending a lot. Uh, so let's, let's put that chart down. So that just goes to show I me, mean, you know, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to say it's all Jamie Dimon and Jamie Dimon knows where the market is headed, whatever. Um, but I mean, I, I think he is a very confident person. But I think that, yeah, they, I wouldn't bet against the house of Morgan. That's what I'm saying. But Jack, doesn't that chart suggest exactly the opposite, that their uh, growth of loans accelerated as the subprime prices was just beginning to gear up? There's like a biphasic chart there. You see that first peak, uh, 2000, looks like 2004, uh, 2005. Then you see some of that, as you say, hand on the reins. Uh, and then 2008, 2009, just as, uh, just as the uh, financial crisis is brewing on the horizon, you see a dramatic acceleration uh, in their loan growth, um, I guess this is year over year prior quarter, um, it looks like they did begin to dial it down, I guess, before the worst of the crisis. But, you know, maybe this suggests a, a bit of epistemic humility um, for uh, for all, uh, you know, senior management at banks and risk management. It's not an easy thing to do. If it were, um, anyone could do it. Definitely not. Uh, Ash, I have a slightly different read of the chart from my, you know, readings of 2008, uh, I think the real manure in the subprime uh, category was created in, in early 2006 and 2007. And so I actually think they, they got out at exactly the right time. I see they were going uh, you know, headlong in 2004, 2005. 
that historically was actually a very good time to be in the mortgage business, as you know. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, I, this is a story I heard from uh, our good friend, Max Weathy, that uh, he was talking, he was at a, a, a nightclub or something like that, and it was a good night. Max was saying, oh, this is a good night, you know? And he said, yeah, uh, but, you know, it, we still haven't had, a, a, you know, so business hasn't been, business is good now, but it hasn't been as good as it was in 2006, referring to all of the you know, Wall Street bankers and traders who had you know incredible bonuses that uh, you know ultimately uh, led led the econ global economy astray. Um, I love but, as a leading indicator with nightclub experiences. Jack, you can make uh, even the word manure sound classy uh, when you say it. Uh, I am curious though. I mean, obviously you see the deceleration though that that going negative, the flipping below uh, the origin line at zero, uh, where you see that contraction. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess you could argue. Uh, to what extent the bad uh, loans have been made across the board and were already securitized? Open question. Something we should definitely deep dive on here more uh, at Real Vision and on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. That'd be a great topic to cover. Definitely. definitely. Uh, Ash, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, the labor shortage, which I think has received yeah. ample coverage in the mainstream media and business press. But I think it really, you know, maybe three months ago, it wasn't, uh, you know, impacting businesses and margins and you know securities as much as they are now like i just saw two two stories today number one uh 10,000 workers at, at deer john deer uh, are going on strike because they couldn't get a, a the right deal that they wanted with united auto workers and uh then domino's pizza um announced a 1.9 percent contraction in same source sales because because that they uh they, they said they were pressured by a very challenging staffing environment now mm. Could it be that they just didn't deliver and it's, you know, has nothing to do with workers and then they're just using that as an excuse? Of course, you know, I, I'm not, um, you know, on the ground in the, in the pizza kitchen, but I'm seeing a lot of stories about, yeah, th this is real. This is no longer just like a societal issue. This will um, impact businesses' profit, prof profitability because, uh, you know, they just can't get the right number of people. So you know, that, you that maybe be, uh, become priced in in the stocks. And, that, you know, that is a risk to equity prices for sure. Did you seriously just say Domino's didn't deliver? <laughs> I, I did, but I didn't realize the pun until you said it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. <laughs> All right, away from bad puns, I wanted to hit some data points on this because uh, I think it brings into focus precisely the points uh, that you were bringing up, up uh, during those in those two stories about Domino's and Deer. Uh, new applications for unemployment benefits uh, fell to 293000 uh, this is the first time uh, since the pandemic that they're below 300,000. So uh, obviously an encouraging sign there, uh, but still elevated versus the 2019 new uh, applications for unemployment numbers. I will say this uh, also to sort of come back uh, full circle to the point that you were making uh, earlier about the multiple phases of this recovery. Uh, S&P 500 today up the most since March. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, full risk on day. And Ash, the the right. gains, the the uh, um, jubilee is not limited to the equity market. Uh, it's we're having a good day in crypto too, right? 
We are, uh, as as we you know as we we frequently have these last uh, week to ten days here. Uh, let's just go through a quick rundown on some of these numbers. Bitcoin uh, right now at fifty seven thousand five hundred and forty two. Uh, Ethereum at thirty seven hundred seventy six. Uh, so obviously these are numbers that uh, that are looking uh, up uh, near you know certainly uh, certainly their uh, their um, thirty day or so uh, highs. I think it's fair to say. Um, obviously, I'm looking at the chart here a little bit longer term. We saw uh, those record highs in uh, in uh, April at uh, 62, 63,000 on the Bitcoin side. By the way, Jack, let me throw this out there. Uh, here's something that came out from the uh, crypto flow, news flow uh, today, which is that um, Coinbase is suggesting, has come out with a position paper uh, where they recommend that DMAs, these are the Digital Marketplace for Assets, uh, this is, I guess, their new term of art, uh, for folks in their business, the Coinbase's, the, the Krakens of the world, uh, they're basically recommending uh, a new regulator to oversee the entire cryptocurrency space here in the U.S. Obviously, Coinbase, uh, Kraken, others would like that kind of regulatory certainty. Uh, and by the way, it would probably be great for them to put some more moats in place. Uh, but this is something that I think is really interesting as this space begins to transition, as you were sort of suggesting, Jack, into something that looks uh, a lot more mainstream and feels in many ways more like a typical regulated brokerage environment. Yeah, um, that's very interesting, Ash. You know, there's DeFi, there, there's crypto, and then there's the metaverse. I, I think that Rao had a conversation with a guest uh, on the metaverse that was very interesting to me. Yeah, let's take a look. This actually comes to us. This is a conversation with Rao, uh, Rao's Adventures in Crypto. It's Rao uh, with Vatsal Bravard. Uh, it's from uh, the Exponential Age, I should say, actually here on the Essential Tier. Let's take a look right now. You can exist in a physical world, yet there'll be digital objects around you. Right. And digital enhancements, we kind of understand the enhancements that your phone can help you out. But you can physically, so you could have your NFT art displayed on the wall that you that you don't see in the physical space, but you see it in the digital space by, you know, you pick up your phone and suddenly it reveals things or what, I mean, that's yeah. an extraordinary world where physical and digital are real properties as you talked yeah. about. There you have it, our own Raoul Powell on the exponential age with Vatsal Broadwatch. You know, I thought that was an interesting clip talking about this, uh, this kind of hybrid world where the physical uh, and the digital both merge into uh, almost um, like um, compatible or uh, sort of coterminous co-reference assets uh, in a broader real asset space. Kind of a fascinating thought, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, definitely. I'll be honest, Ash. That is a lot over my head. But I think if you know, if I heard, uh, you know, some talk about Bitcoin or Ethereum in 2015, it would have been way over my head now. Whereas now, sort of the macro case for Bitcoin, it's like, oh yeah, 25 million, like central bank sheet. Yeah, like we, we all know this, right? So um, I think what what's that's being said now is you know could become common knowledge in a few years. But now, definitely over the heads of a lot of people, including myself. Yeah, you know, I just took it as basically talking about how this this world where you know it's 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 very distinct. Even here at Real Vision, right? We have uh, the Real Vision platform and we have the Real Vision crypto platform. Um, it's very much been a, a a case where we've seen this divided universe between digital assets uh, and uh, macro assets, capital market assets. Uh, my take on Raoul's view on this is that he's talking about what the world starts to look like. Uh, as those two begin to merge. And obviously, as we know, uh, Raul has uh, had a great love affair with NFTs. Uh, 
He's doing some amazing work here on the Real Vision platform, talking about NFTs, talking about the metaverse. So a perfectly natural place probably for him to begin uh, to frame that out, that case, that thesis for how those worlds may begin to unite and how those asset classes can start to come together, Jack. Yeah, um, definitely. Ash, where, where do you where do you want to take this? Because we've got we talked about the labor shortage. We can talk commodities. We can we can go anywhere. Jack, you got the car keys, man. You're driving. You tell me. Um, all right, let, let's talk about uh, commodities. I think a month ago, a uh, month and a half ago, as Evergrande's demise was becoming apparent to, to us, a lot of people in the media, including myself, thought that that was going to really take the gas, pun intended, not intended, out of the commodity rally, which already was faltering um, going into August. In fact, you know, puts were bought against copper miners. You, know, you, you sold your oil. You obviously got to get out of coal. Uh, we've seen the exact opposite. The, it's just been taken from level 10 to level 12. Uh, WTI front month contract is now above $80, the first time since 2014. Um, it, it, things are getting very, very hot. And people are actually now saying that this is unsustainable. And this is something that it was always hard for me to wrap my head around, which is you know, $80 oil. That's great for if you produce oil. Of course it is. But it is, in a sense, uh, contractionary on economy. Because if if you have to pay $5 at the gallon, you're going to consume less gas. And then that will have ripple uh, effects throughout the economy. So I think that high commodity prices are good for a very small selection of equities. But overall, it doesn't really benefit anyone but them. Well, and of course, the folks who are trading it, CLI won uh, WTI uh, oil uh, on Dimex front month trading right now, 81 spot, 44. You know, Jack, a story that I saw, and I'm not sure if this is one that you're following, but uh, let's talk what's happening in LNG, liquid natural gas. I I'm looking at the chart right now. Uh, this is a generic front month uh, for, uh, for, for, uh, for LNG on NYMEX. And what I see is like, it's just an absolute hockey stick going from, it looks like uh, sub three bucks uh, over the last, uh, you know, call it 10 months uh, up to, well, trading right now at $5.68. Uh, that is a dramatic, dramatic increase. I know that there are some real world concerns uh, around uh, liquid natural gas shortages uh, in Europe, potentially during what has been predicted to be a very cold winter. Are you following that story? And if so, any thoughts? Uh, not super closely, but I just was looking at a chart of LNG, and if you put it liquefied natural gas, if you put it on a one-year chart, on a five-year chart, it looks exponential. But if you put it on a 20-year chart, you realize that we're nowhere close to the highs. I mean, I think the high was something like you know close to 16 bucks in 2005. So things may seem absurd now, but they can get a lot more absurd. And also, I think that we got to tie this back to inflation, which is, you know, I mean, the, the poster child of inflation is expensive gas at the pump, expensive, uh, you know, food uh, at, at the superstore, um, supermarket. And, you know, I, I think for a long time, Ash, people have been saying, oh, well, you know, inflation was 5.2%. But if you take out energy and food, you know, that's called core inflation, and that's only 4%. And then if you take out used cars, and you take out airline uh, uh, tickets, then it's actually only 3.3%. So actually, there's nothing to worry about. I think that inflation, that argument made a lot of sense uh, six months ago. I think it increasingly is making less sense. And it could perhaps become a political issue as uh, um, election, we approach elections in the US in November. And by the way, not just US, Europe, South Korea, even Japan, which is you know huge deflation, the, the rate of deflation is itself going down. So it could uh, 
could be, we could see some tactical inflation in Japan too soon. Jack, you sound like a crusty old school trader. Were you like on the desk trading LNG back in 2001? Uh, no, but I, I recently um, you know, was talking to a lot of people who are worried about inflation. So that definitely colors your view. You know, if, if I spent all my, you know, a lot of my time talking to people about decentralized finance, I'm sure I would, you know, be, be as, as, as Raul would say, you know, finding cash between my cushions to, uh, to, to buy more. Like, you know, I'm, I speak to some oil traders, some, some people who are worried about inflation. So yeah, gold, oil, that, that's uh, sort of what, what my, my bias, if you can call it. Yeah. One, uh, one of the things that I saw on the Bloomberg terminal today, that was a gentleman named Edward Harrison, uh, who had a great line saying, put away the disco ball. We're not headed towards stagflation. In fact, the more likely scenario is deflation. Uh, so all of these sort of multiple competing uh, sort of variables, domains of uh, of frame of reference, thinking about commodities, uh, thinking about uh, thinking about growth, thinking about the job market, all competing. A lot of different scenarios out there. A lot of different macro theses that are floating around uh, in terms of the way people are thinking uh, about growth, about inflation, and about deflationary risk. Yeah, I think for decelerating growth, the, the argument is pretty simple. If you get um, you know, a rate of growth of 10% GDP growth, almost by definition, it's not sustainable. Further to not be a decelerating rate, you'd have to continue and go higher and higher and higher. You know, there's only so far you can go. And when you, you know, have 10% GDP, pretty rarefied air. Likewise, if, if retail sales is growing 30% year over year, is it a contraction if it goes down to 22%? I guess technically, yes, but also that is, you know, remarkable growth. So I think a, a lot of, um, you know, intelligent economists are uh, using two-year rates of growth because I think COVID just messed everything up. Because it's, it's base effects. If you've heard, if people have heard that term, it's, you know, March 2020, the uh, CPI was very low. So then in March 2021, inflation CPI is going to be a very high rate of change. Um, likely, we're getting over those base effects now. So actually, I think base effects no longer excuses the high rate of CPI. We're we're living in an inflationary world, and I think. Uh, it's the deflationists who have something to prove, not the inflationists. Very interesting. Very interesting take, Jack. Yeah, I'm a I'm a polemicist, Ash. I just have just sharing my opinions left and right, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, in addition to being a polemicist, you're also a storyteller. I understand that you have some news you'd like to share with us. Yes, I do, Ash. Well, uh, I have some news uh, that actually today is going to be my last day hosting uh, the daily briefing. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, obviously, Jack, you've been a, a huge part of the Real Vision Daily Briefing uh, from the very beginning when we built this show uh, to serve uh, viewers' needs to try and get a sense of what was happening during the darkest days uh, of the COVID crisis. In fact, I think we have a photograph of your first day on the Real Vision Daily Briefing, March 30th, 2020. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Is, I assume the photo is up now. I, I had a lot more hair. <laughs> I think we all did uh, before this crisis, Jack. Yeah, definitely. Well, so yeah, just to be clear, I know I was very terse in my remark. I am um, moving on shortly uh, from Real Vision. So uh, yeah, this is it. This is my final daily briefing. I'll be doing an interview tomorrow, which will air sometime next week. Um, but then, yeah, I am moving on. And so I just want to say, Ash, um, you know, I'm so grateful to to Real Vision, uh, to Ral, to you, to you know everyone who works at Real Vision. I mean, there's so many people uh, who have just made this place a, a fantastic place to work and a fantastic place to learn. So I'm not going to even try and uh, name them, but you know I'm I'm also incredibly grateful to the guests 
who have been enormously um, generous with their time and, and insights. I mean, spe you know, speaking to people who really have been working in this industry in 20 years and have counseled, uh, you know, some people who are like CEOs and like the biggest hedge fund managers of the world, and as well as hedge fund managers, and they're just so willing to share uh, their knowledge. So I'm very grateful to them. But most of all, I'd say I'm grateful to the Real Vision subscribers uh, who have been who've made all this possible who've been with us thick and thin, who are also finance nerds here to learn. You know, they're not necessarily here to watch a, you know, a five minute interview. They wanna, they wanna commit the time. They're saying, hey, if I wanna learn about backwardation, contango and futures trader, it may take 45 minutes and that's okay because I'm putting in the investment. You, know, you, the viewer, are the real hero. So I'm, I'm very grateful to, to them. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah, Jack, that's very well said and uh, absolutely spot on. Jack, I should say, though, we are very grateful to you for all the work that you've done here on this show uh, and on other shows uh, to help us on our journey that we're all on here together at Real Vision. Jack, I have to ask you a few questions before we let you go. Uh, you've had just an incredible journey here at Real Vision. What have you learned? Give us some sense of this path that you've been on, what you've learned, and what you can share with the viewers uh, to maybe aid them in their journey as we all kind of walk this path together. Wow, that's a, that's a tough question, Ash. Well, I will say I did uh, graduate from an Ivy League university with a degree in economics, and I think I received a very uh, good and thorough education there. But I will say, like, what I've learned at Real Vision just does not compare at all. I think I've learned so much more. Um, you know, and I think that uh, just, you know, I've, I've listened, I've listened to a lot, a lot of interviews. And I think people who are Real Vision super fans know, like, if you listen to a lot of Real Vision interviews, the learning that you get just uh, it, it increases and then it compounds on itself. Um, so how is my understanding of finance developed? Hmm. I think that I've become very familiar with um, terms. So I'm very familiar with the shorthand. So when someone says like delta or you know moneyness or um, you know you know bank lending or, or even growth terms terms that you people think they understand like inflation or growth you know not that I don't have a complete understanding of it but like or think words like liquidity which you hear all the time but it's like what does that actually mean I don't think that I've fully grasped liquidity but um, yeah I, I, so I say the terms is the the most important thing and then I mean you just have to go through topic by topic, uh, you know, bank lending, how inflation is measured, what assets perform well during what times. I think that's you know, part of a core of macro. So if interest rates rise, then uh, that actually is pretty good for uh, bank stocks because they, they benefit from steep yield curves. Uh, energy stocks tend to benefit from steepening yield curves too. Why? Because are, are rising yields inherently good for energy stocks? No, they actually have to refinance, so they're not inherently good. But why are yields rising? Because people are selling bonds. Because when people sell bonds, yields rise. When people buy bonds, yields fall. And why would they be selling uh, very safe paper, like a 30-year treasury bond? 
because the economy is hot and they want to get out, get on the action. So they're dumping those, you know, safe assets. So that's why yields rise. So it's not necessarily a cause; it's more of a correlation. Um, you know, stocks are correlated to each other. Uh, why? I don't know, but they are. You know, and so if if Bank of America is up, you know, Berkshire Hathaway probably is going to be up. Wells Fargo is probably going to be up. Um, yeah, and also just learning that. You know, it's so much individual stocks. It's so much more than a uh, price to earnings ratio, and just learning how vast the future is, and how sometimes that does ju justify a huge difference in valuation. Why some, you know, newly IPO'd cloud company can perhaps be, you know, have a price to earnings multiple like five times higher than IBM, and maybe yeah. that's not crazy. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say there's so, there's so much that uh, to cover and so much we could talk about. But I'm curious, Jack, if you have any uh, stories uh, that resonate with you uh, in terms of guests, live events, experiences here at Real Vision that really resonate with you and that encapsulate in many ways your journey, things that our viewers could probably connect with. Hmm. Uh, could it be an interview? Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'd say probably my interview with, with uh, Professor Oswalt de Motorin on valuation is, was one of my favorites. I uh, just just re I really got a technical sense of discounted cash flow, which I've heard that term used a bunch. And that is one thing about Real Vision and working at Real Vision is you get very uh, for me like you get broad, but like you know in, because it macro is like sort of you know um, opposed from like in the weeds. But I like in the weeds too. So I, I just learned so much about valuation with I was about the motor in. I'd also talk to Ann Stevenson Yang on Evergrande, a, a short selling researcher who's you know worked on China for many, many, many years. And you know, she was reporting, putting out reports on Evergrande uh, as early as 2014 about how they likely didn't have as much cash in the bank as, as they did. So she really opened my eyes to just how business is done in China and how, how finance is done. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I'll say, I, I, this is a shout out uh, to my colleague and friend, Max, who uh, interviewed someone on a show called Zeros, which is associated with Real Vision. And uh, actually, he interviewed Ann Stevenson Yang too. That's that's why I thought of it about how um, there is someone in China who the company is called Faraday Future, and the, the the founder was essentially kicked out of China. He's on a list. He can't come back to China. Uh, and China, you know, has pretty shaky uh, financial regulatory rules. But this person is alive and well in the United States, and they have a SPAC that is de-SPAC, and it's called Faraday Future. And you know, America is not this bastion of. Uh, financial rectitude. Um, definitely, definitely not. So I'd, I'd say those two interviews. Sorry, I know I'm rambling a little bit. Well, it wouldn't be 2021 if we didn't get the word SPAC in there. You know, Jack, you were going to be a superstar no matter what you did, as you say, uh, economics degree from an Ivy League university. By the way, I should say uh, there's hope for the rest of us. Well, you were doing that. I was almost certainly doing keg stands and not paying attention to markets. Uh, but Jack, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure working for you. I know that with you, I know that everyone here at Real Vision feels the same way. I'm looking at the comments right now from our yeah, viewers. Yeah, what, what are the people saying? I mean, you know, they're they're grateful to all that you've done. Lots of stuff, lots of questions. And um, Jack, it's, it's just been great to have you doing this with you. It's been a pleasure from the darkest days of the crisis through the recovery uh, to where we are today. Uh, it's been a pleasure building this show with you. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you, Ash. You know, you and uh, Ed were, you know, senior people um, to me, and you were very talented. You helped build. I mean, not help. You really, you know, you really were the driving force behind uh, the daily briefing, especially in its early days. And you know, you could have, um, you know, sort of shooed me away as, oh, this kid, he's kind of like 
asking a lot of questions and he thinks he's, you know, he thinks he may, can make charts, whatever. Um, but you actually not only, uh, you know, didn't sort of hold me back, but you actually like encouraged me to grow and promoted, you know, me and, and I'm so grateful to, to you and Ed um, for that opportunity. And also just for the daily briefing, uh, which I think is a phenomenal show. And I think it was, you know, phenomenal before I started being involved with that. I think it will be phenomenal after I started being involved with it. Uh, I will add, though, that it's definitely changed so much. You know, it was sort of forged in chaos. It was born in the cauldron of the COVID crisis. And the actual beginning of it, of the daily briefing, the daily briefing intro, the news wrap, initially, this is dark to say, but it was about COVID infections and COVID deaths. Um, and, and now it's, you know, morphed into something completely different. So I think the daily briefing, as much as it's a staple in people's lives, I think it is something that is not static and is, is always changing. Jack, I appreciate you saying that. By the way, the reason I gave you uh, such a broad leeway was just pure naked self-interest. I sort of suspected that someday I'd end up working for you. So build the good relationship now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have uh, people who we've hired at, at Real Vision who are interns, who are phenomenally capable, who I have the same uh, self-interest out of, and I've supported them for the, out of my pure greed. Jack, we, we've got a wrap here, um, but I'm going to give it to you. Last word, 30 seconds, final thoughts. Oh, man. Um, you know, I always joke with uh, my coworker and friend, Nick Correa, when we do the exchange uh, on the Real Vision Exchange, we do this show, The Breakdown, which uh, unfortunately may no, no longer um, happen. He always uh, asks this question, what are your final thoughts at the end? And it's my least favorite question because it's, it's so hard uh, to answer. I, I will just want to re reiterate my uh, gratitude to the Real Vision audience, to everyone I work with to the guests. And, um, you know, I just want to say that I'm not like, I'm not leaving the world of macro, like real visions is I'm addicted to macro. And I, I I'm, you know, my, my journey with real vision is, uh, has come to it to a close, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, I will, I will be in the macro world for sure. Yeah. Thanks uh, for watching the real vision daily briefing on tomorrow's show. I'll be hosting real vision co-founder Rao Pal, same time, same place. In the meantime, you can come chat with us on real visions exchange. Thanks for watching, everyone, and thank you again, Jack. Thank you, Ash, and thank you, everyone. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.